Let us pray. Gracious God, silence in us any voice but yours. And awaken us once again to uh, the beautiful stories of this season and the mysteries they contain. And in this hour, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story that is before us today is familiar to many of you. It begins with a simple introduction. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. The Gospel of Matthew goes on to tell how a young woman named Mary became pregnant and that her husband-to-be, Joseph, who knew that he was not the father, had to decide what to do about it. The next thing that happens is that Joseph comes to a decision in a way that is familiar in the Bible. It's something that happens to many other men. He has a dream. The same kind of thing happens at an important point in the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis, King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, and here in the book of Matthew it will happen again in the very next chapter, the wise men come to visit Jesus at Bethlehem, and they are warned in a dream to avoid King Herod by returning home using another road. I want to talk about these dreams in the Bible this morning because I have a hunch that we read the Bible and Joseph's story and others like it, and that many of us have the same reaction. We think that these dreams are silly. Many of us haven't had God come and speak to us in a dream, and when someone else suggests that that they have, we are tempted to think that they're a little crazy. So I want to challenge that idea that these dreams are silly, because I believe that powerful and important dreams are much more common than many of us might believe or like to admit. Some of us are indeed confronted by the mysterious wisdom of our dreams. We fall asleep at night. We temporarily lose the rational control we have over our minds during our waking hours. We receive some sort of strange communication we didn't ask for. And when we wake up, we have to decide if it meant something. This is what's going on in biblical dreams as well. Theologian Walter Brueggemann writes that biblical people dared to imagine that dreams are one venue in which the holy purposes of God come to us. The ancients also knew, he says, that this communication is not obvious. It requires interpretation. Plenty of modern folks feel the same way. At least since the time of Freud, we've taken it seriously that something important is happening when we dream, something worth taking seriously. Dreaming also happens while we're awake. We go through the motions of each day. We take care of the needs of work and family, errands and meals. And along the way from time to time, 
Uninvited thoughts break into our lives, daydreams. Thoughts that cause us to wonder what our life might be like if we were to do something a little different. Take a chance or a risk. Follow the road less traveled. These two are dreams. And these kind of dreams are important. Dreams are the stuff that creativity and innovation and hope are made of. Dreams are the opposite of settling. They can inspire us to a better life. Whether it happens when we are sleeping or when we are awake, dreams are a prodding that gets us to examine the tension between life as it is and life as it could be. As much as biblical stories about dreams may seem silly, I think we see all around us ways that our culture promotes its own version of this tension, this tension between what life is and what life could be. It appears to us in all kinds of dreams. And I'd like to tell you about three examples. The first comes from primarily younger adults. This tension between what is and what could be gets played out between the popularity of, on one hand, reality TV and social media, and on the other hand, science fiction and fantasy. These are opposite poles of life as it is and life as it could be. Now, plenty of folks argue that reality TV isn't actually real, and I can go along with that, but I think it's fair to say that reality TV is real life taken to an extreme. If life in the real world is consequential and competitive and heartbreaking, then reality TV is all of those things in exaggerated form. As people are voted off of the island and publicly rewarded for their victories and punished for their flaws, and everyone in reality TV gets to hear the awful things that are said behind their back. Like watching a car accident, much of the draw of reality TV comes from the grotesque appeal of watching someone else's life and knowing that it isn't you. Social media has plenty of benefits, but it also shares some of these flaws. It's extreme reality. People post boldly demeaning things on their Facebook pages that they would never have the nerve to say to someone's face. That's how cyberbullying works. For a lot of people, this extreme reality is balanced by the same audience's fascination with science fiction and fantasy. Whether it is Batman, Star Wars, Harry Potter, or The Hunger Games, all of these stories are incredibly popular because they represent a dreamlike desire for something better than what we've got. In every one of these stories, the thing in common is that a heroic character is caught up in a story that is different than the real world. And it's different in all of these stories 
because some one person or group is still absolutely committed to justice and fairness and the triumph of good over evil. In all of these stories, the world is still harsh, but because of the vision of goodness, we are reminded that things can be different. And in the harsh world of reality TV and social media, people need science fiction and fantasy because they need these kinds of dreams. There's a second version of this tension between the world as it is and the world of dreams, one that applies mostly to adults who are a little bit older. There's a book that has been very popular for a couple of decades now, especially among men who are right around the age of 40. The book is called Halftime, and it's written by Bob Buford, a successful cable television executive who made a turn in midlife toward Christian-based leadership development. The subtitle of his book is Moving from Success to Significance. And the primary audience is middle-aged men who have found, who have followed the traditional rules of our culture. They've worked hard, they've made some money, they are probably married and have children, and they have started to wonder if perhaps something is missing. They have a sort of dream in their life about finding a significance that they feel is currently lacking, and they wonder what the second half of life will be like for them. Halftime is not a unique book. There are other ones like it. They are all out there with the very good intention of helping these men have a healthy version of a midlife crisis in which they turn in the direction of pursuits that will give them more meaning. It's another acknowledgement of the need for dreams that keeps popping up in the midst of real life. Finally, there's a group about a generation older than the readers of Halftime, a group who either never read that book or they read it and it didn't solve all of their problems. And that group has another set of concerns that arise a little bit more around the age of 60. These are demographically some of the hardest people to get involved in any kind of church programming. Plenty of them are on the golf course or reading the paper on Sunday morning. And I'm not saying that as an indictment of them, because for a variety of reasons, church has never addressed the questions that they are asking. So it's worth mentioning that this past year we hosted an oversubscribed class here at Knox for a group like this. It was based on a book called Falling Upward. In this book, the author, Richard Rohr, writes that he is writing for people who have spent most of their life building a container, an identity, a home, a security, a platform for life, and now they're turning inward to try to discover the contents that container was meant to hold. 
primary audience for this book. As I said, it's people in their 60s, recently retired or about to retire. Folks who are struggling to discover what they will do with the next 20 years of their life. Work is done and their children have moved out and an unsettling feeling sets in. And what they know is that they don't want to spend the rest of their life playing golf and reading the New York Times. Especially the men in this group regularly come and talk to me about this. And there's one thing that they all have in common. Every one of these men think they are the only one coming to talk to me about this. (laughs) And another thing they all have in common is a real life that they have some questions about and a nagging bit of a dream that there might be something else in store for them. Those are three examples of why dreams that encourage us to think about life and what it might be, three suggestions that dreams might not be totally silly and irrelevant. And with that background, I want to invite you to look with me again at this story of Joseph. Joseph is engaged to be married. And the young woman becomes pregnant. He knows that the child is not his, and Joseph is not a spiteful man. He has no desire to ruin Mary's life. So the story says that he planned to dismiss her quietly. And then the story continues, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. This is Joseph's dream, Joseph's nagging idea in the corner of his mind that maybe things are supposed to be different than they are. And Joseph wakes up, and the real question for Joseph is, what is he going to do about it? There's something significant that's about to happen here. And for Joseph, it is like it is for so many of us If you stick around and pay attention, if you resist the temptation to ignore your dreams, if you allow yourself to be drawn into it, it just may change your life. Now, a bit of a half-joking disclaimer. This sermon is about pursuing your dreams, and every pastor preaches this sermon at some point, And every pastor's nightmare is that you preach this sermon and someone goes home and cheats on their spouse. Because, friends, dreams have to be interpreted. (laughs) They require careful interpretation, even in the Bible. And so please, don't go home and do anything dumb as a result of this sermon. But the fact is there 
We human beings continue to spend an extraordinary amount of time and energy churning out new and different stories about the importance of following our dreams, about life as it is and life as it could be. We do this through science fiction and fantasy stories, through quests for purpose in middle age and for meaning in older adulthood. We tell this same story in countless other ways. And an original version of that story exists in the Bible with this man, Joseph. A man who was faced with a choice and who listened and took a chance on a dream. I imagine on some level that sounds like I am the preacher demeaning all of these other movies and books and stories and suggesting that you'd figure it all out if you just paid closer attention to reading your Bible. But that's not what I'm saying. I do think the story of Joseph is an amazing one, but I believe that not because it provides some one-size-fits-all prescription for spiritual wholeness, On the contrary, I believe that so many of the versions of this story continue to be told because the hopes and dreams of Christmas are discovered in so many different ways. And so that being said, my Christmas wish for you is this. Not that you would have all of the answers, but that in this Christmas season, you may have the curiosity and openness of Joseph. So that in unexpected ways, God might show you a dream. And God's love might break into your life, too.